Good morning. Everyone, take a breath. Okay, we're going to need it this morning. Uh, when I was in high school, I remember uh, I lived in La Jolla, California. I do. Re- I said I remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. And everyone in high school who's familiar with La Jolla, California, okay? They have money, right? I mean, their money has money. It's crazy. And my dad was a pastor in La Jolla, and we lived on the outskirts of it. You know, it was like we only went in it and then left, right, because you couldn't afford it. So I never really had a car in high school. Couldn't afford one. And so all the other kids had these nice cars, uh, nice cars. Before Hummers were, like, you know, available to the public, you know, we had some kids driving them because their dad had military contracts and all this stuff, and you're just like, wow, you know. So I remember when I got my first car, because I could afford it. It cost me a dollar. And you get what you should pay for, right? I had this 1980 Honda Accord hatchback that was gunmetal gray, and it had holes rusted through the roof. I had to tie my seatbelt together because it wouldn't click. And then the brakes, they were a gamble. So you just prayed that they worked. And then the driver's side door would just open in mid-drive on the freeway. (laughs) Say, death trap. But I love this car. This was mine, right? And I spent my good hard dollar on this car. But then I got in a seminary and I started working and and I only had to provide for myself and I could finally get a car that wasn't going to blow up on me or kill me. So I remember... I went in, and, and to most people, I got the ugliest car you can get. Who's ever seen my car? It's the green box on wheels that's outside. Um, those of you that don't like me, please be easy on my car, okay? <laughs> now that you know what it is. But I remember I was so excited to get this because it came fully loaded, right? had everything. It had everything you could want at that time. Now they've got computers in the car that talk to you and do all that. So it didn't do that. But at the time, it was fully loaded, and I was so excited, but I didn't know what to do with it. So you want to have a car that, like, does things you're still figuring out? Who's got that car? I was in Mark's car the other day, and my backside was on fire. I'm like, what is going on? Oh, heated seats. Oh, warn a guy next time. (laughs) But it gets me thinking. Because that one car, though I liked it, there was a discontent about it because I didn't feel safe, and I always felt I was lacking something. But in this new fully loaded car, I'm still figuring out stuff, and it's got everything I could want, and I still don't, I haven't put forth the effort to learn how to use everything. It's like when I got my first, well, my first and only iPad. I mean, I only know how to check email and then play solitaire. I mean, is anyone, I mean... You don't, you don't know what you have until you practice it, until you get into it. You get intimate with it, right? And then you can flesh it out, and then you see all the access that you have that you didn't know you had. You knew it, but you didn't know it. Does that make sense? Well, this morning, we're going to talk about how through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we have access to all of him. Do you know how big a statement that is? I, I hope you understand that you can't understand that. If you think you know how big that statement is, you're wrong, because it's bigger than that. It's greater than that. 
It goes further than that. It goes deeper than that. And as Christians, we should know that. That should be a living reality in our lives, knowing that we have full access to the Father through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, who died and raised again. That's our salvation, correct? Here's something we're good at as Christians. Not to be mean, it's just true. We're good at at knowing that God is with us. We're good at knowing and singing His grace is enough, right? We can say when someone's in hardship, He's with you. He loves you. Great. I know that. But do you feel, this is a question, do you sense that maybe we think that's an ending point? I know his grace is enough, and that's the finish line. I know I live that way. I know he's here. I know I should have hope. I know I should experience joy, and in knowing that, I'm there. I've made it. What if we were to see and that, the grace, the knowledge that he's here as the starting line instead of the finish line. What do you think we would accomplish as the church of Jesus Christ? What do you think we would actually know of the Father if we pressed into grace, into the knowledge that he's here, into his love and his mercy? What would that look like? Well, this morning you have a, you have a little pamphlet here. Okay, and it has our passage this morning. We're going to be working out of the next couple of weeks out of the book of Ephesians. And then in the fall, we're going to go, we're going to hit hard the book of Hebrews. But for right now, we're going to stick into this letter of Ephesians. And before we do that, let me give you just a brief background. Many believe that Paul is the writer of Ephesians, and there's a lot of evidence for that. But in the 20th century, we've also found that there are other possibilities. It could be someone who is a disciple of Paul, right? Well, regardless, it's Paul's theology. It's what, uh, it's coming out of his heart of what Jesus is pouring in him. And he's writing to a church that is, that is delving into magic and the occult and all this stuff. So he writes this letter to remind them of who they are, the way they're supposed to live their lives, and then equips them to do so. Does that make sense? So this morning, um, we're going to start with Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to go through 8. And please follow along in the pamphlet. We're going to read out of the NLT because I like it. It reads nice, and it sounds nice. Starting in verse 3, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. I want you to take a pause for a second. And if you would indulge me for a moment, I'm going to read that again. If you would close your eyes and ask this question to yourself right now, Lord, what do you want me to hear and see? 
Can you do that for me in your spirit right now? Lord, what do you want me to hear and see? And I want to read this to you again. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we raise God, praise God, for the glorious grace he has poured onto us, who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. Amen. How many of you felt the Lord was impressing something on your heart? Okay. How many of you just felt His presence, nothing specific, but you felt something? Now, what we just practiced together as a body, as the church, is listening to God. Right? We're talking about maturity and how do we press into that. And we have to practice the presence of God. And we just did that together, so bravo. Right? Sometimes classes are good, training is good, and sometimes we forget we can do it right here. Right? It's not about just listening to information, but also practicing in the midst. Hebrews 5.14, which we went over a few weeks ago. Well, the Lord has been working on my heart all week. I haven't slept much because I've been thinking about a concept that comes out of this over and over and over. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I think the Lord is saying this to Bridgewood as a movement of what God is going to do in this place and out of this place if we engage. If we choose to engage. So, when we talk about this, we have every, every we have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Do you, again, this is, remember, we can't put our minds around this. We can't. And one way I, th- I, I realized to myself, there's no way I can even try and think about this to the nth degree, because what does Scripture say about God's mercies? They're new what? Every day. Now imagine this earth, how many days it's experienced. And mercy is just one blessing in the heavenly realms. Just one, Okay. And you think that every day that this world has been in existence, every day there's been new mercies. New. Fresh. Does that blow your mind? And that's just one blessing. And guess what? We have access to all of it. Yet we, la- we, we live as if we're lacking something. Don't we? I need this. I don't have this, so I can't go here. There's something missing. Well, yeah, take a step into Jesus. Don't just know he's there. Because when you press into him, you begin practicing his presence. You begin stepping in and receiving that inheritance. He calls us his adopted children, which means we have access to what is his. Everything. 
right? Everything. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about this. Lord, how do I live and, and is in a way in which I'm accessing those things when I have this word in my heart all the time, discontent? Who feels discontent sometimes? We feel it every day. I hope you know that. In relationships, work scenarios, I'm discontent that I have to wait 20 minutes to buy my groceries, right? I'm discontent about these things in my life. I wish it was better. Now, other times, we look at the word discontent, and we think of it just as dissatisfaction. But it's not just dissatisfaction. It's a restless longing for better circumstances. It's a restless longing for better circumstances. For me, I ask myself, okay, I'm discontent a lot. (laughs) And if you're around me, I'm a verbal processor, so you always hear what I'm discontent about. You don't ever have to guess. I'll tell you. (laughs) It's true. I'll tell you what I'm discontent about. But here's the deal. The thing that I am most discontent about in my life has been the the state of the church. Always. I look at the church and I'm disappointed. I look at the church and I'm like, this needs to be fixed. I look at the church and I go, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? Blah, 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 blah. Now here's the thing. There's a, you know, some call it holy discontent where God puts your, your eyes on something that he wants to breathe life into. Okay? For the sake of argument, let's just call it a holy discontent. So discontent is not always a bad thing. So understand that first. It's how we respond to the awareness of discontent in our lives that that make it bad or good. And today we want to talk about how do we access our inheritance, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, in a way it gives us a new lens to handle this word discontent that presses us forward into maturity rather than stuck at the gate of God is here, grace is good, yay, 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 but I want to press into it. I want to live it. I want the goal, the end goal for everyone in this room to look like a kingdom citizen, that every one of us are living out the kingdom of God consistently. Right? That's what we want. That's what we strive for. How do we get there? How do we take this discontent? Yeah, we have spiritual gifts. We have discernment. But a lot of the times we operate those gifts within the negative side of discontent. Now, I last week, God smacked me on my face in, in a good way. And I was still disappointed with the church and disappointed in myself. I'm always in that category. I said, Lord, I don't want to keep preaching if no one's listening, not just hearing, but listening, doing what he's saying, because you feel like you're just going through the motions. And every preacher I know, every minister I know, everyone that, that, that strives to live out the kingdom of God, the gospel, feels this way at one point or another. Have you? And I said, Lord, I'm mad at your church. I'm really mad. And then this is where he hit me. But it's my church. Do you love my church? Because I sure love them. It's a mess, but it's not out of my control. And I went, I don't know if I love your church. I love you. If you love me, you're going to love my church. So my whole life, growing up in a pastor's home and 
and seeing how not to do church, how not to do ministry, I went, instead of this proactive sense of, God, what do I do here in the midst of my discontent? I went straight to what we would call rebellion. Right? Because I would try to do everything that was countercultural. Not on alignment of Scripture, but I tried to correct what the church was doing wrong. And out of that, that's a sense of rebellion. Rebellion is, is, is the attitude or the action of trying to eradicate the status quo. Rebellion, let me say that again, is the act of trying to eradicate the status quo. I hate the status quo. We even had a, like, a message series last year. You know, forget the status quo, right? And it's like trying to be rebellious. But guess what happens with rebellions? They get squashed and cause chaos and can cause destruction. And my discontent would lead me to rebellion. I don't like this church, so I'm going to go start my own the way I think it should be. So it's that whole understanding that we did a few weeks ago. I'm going to bring Jesus into it, not follow him into it, because I'm in rebellion. And I thought I was living radically. The radical Christian, right? We like that, right? We want to live radically. And I didn't really understand what that word meant. I thought it meant a holy rebellion. It doesn't mean that. It literally means getting to the root or the, the source of what's happening. And instead, I took all the furniture in my room and I rearranged it. Right? That's an act of rebellion, isn't it? I don't like this. I'm moving it around. Now it's different. No, it's not. It's the same furniture in the same room. <laughs> you want a definition of insanity, right? So I said, Lord, what do we do here? Because oftentimes we preach, we lead out of this discontentment of rebellion. We do. We as leaders oftentimes lead that way, out of a rebellion. When I was in college, there was no church that could feed me. That's what I felt. So I'm like, we're going to start our own. God blessed it. It was great. But again, it was rearranging the furniture. And it fizzled out. Why? Because I was trying to do, as, as I, Mark said this week, it was, it was great. I love, I, I've never heard this phrase. I was trying to do the same thing, expecting different results. Just rearranging the order. We get a cool band. We get this. We get that. We'll get this. But still the question is, are we following Jesus? Are we pressing into his grace or just talking about his grace? There's a huge difference. So the Lord poured out a couple of things. And on the back of your, your sheet, you'll see blank space. Okay? I'm not a PowerPoint guy. You know that probably by now. So I'll repeat what I need to repeat. And we're going to go through this one step at a time. So I said, Lord, where do I go? From discontentment. Where do I go? First step, ask the question. Well, what question? Lord, what do you want to do? Simple, right? Not simple, Lord, what do you want to do? Now, let me tell you why we ask, well, first, a question out of this, and then why we ask that question. We have to ask a question because questions to Jesus is called prayer. It's dialogue. 
And how are you going to get information if you don't what? Ask a question. (laughs) And what you do when you ask the question, now you are practicing listening. Now, I'm not saying what we're going to be going through this morning is easy. It's hard, but it's simple. So we say, Lord, what are you doing? And we struggle. We wrestle with hearing him, listening to him. How many of you have trouble listening sometimes? A lot of times because we're not still enough. Believe me, I know. You see how much I move up here? Can you imagine me sitting still? But we don't practice. We don't stop enough in our hearts to practice. So we need to practice. We need to ask the question, Lord, what do you want to do? Then guess what you've done? You've stepped into the abiding presence of Jesus. Because now it's not about this rebellion of what you think needs to change. It's about what God wants to do in the midst of everything that's not right. You've just put it in his, the ball in his court where it should always be. And now you've begun to follow him into, which leads to the second step, pursuing him. Going after him. Seeking him. Seek and you shall find. Find what? Him. His heart. What he wants to do in you and through you. So we have this discontent. And we say, Lord, what do you want to do? And out of that, we follow him. We go after him as he begins answering that question in the midst of our discontent. And that leads us to step three. It leads us into intimacy with him. Now that's a big word. I I like this definition of intimacy. Intimacy is the familiarity with the deepest parts of someone. Isn't that cool? A familiarity with the deepest, the deepest parts of someone's heart. So if we seek, if we ask the Lord, what are you doing? And he begins to show us as we struggle to listen and we go after him, we seek, we shall find. And now we are in the midst of this deep, tender intimacy and it's more about it's more than just information it's information about god's heart being fleshed out in our lives that's the intimacy that knowing it's gritty it's messy does that make sense and then guess what it leads us into living a lifestyle of a kingdom of god citizen Because Jesus has the most intimate relationship with the Father. And he says what? I do only what I see my Father doing. There's a sense of intimacy there. That's so great that all he's ever going to do is what he sees God do. And if that's the access we have, which we do, Ephesians tells us, you and I have every access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In chapter 3, we have access to all of his resources, the fullness of God. Chapter 3 of Ephesians 16 and following. Paul makes this a pattern in the letter because it's important. Because there's an intimacy that we need to step into. A phrase that God put on my heart a few years ago and I try to live by it all the time, is that intimacy with God is found and discovered through the process, the process of pursuing him. 
That's the practice. That's the struggle. That's the wrestling to go after him and these deep-seated questions, these deep-seated issues of discontent when we go after him. The process in which we go through develops intimacy, right? How many of you have gone through tough things in your life that have shown you wonderful things about God's heart? Why? Because you went after him in that. That's, that's evidence of you knowing how to hear him and press into him. So let's not say we don't know how to hear him. We do. We don't practice it. Because we have access to all of those things. All of it. We don't lack anything. As a follower of Jesus, we are fully loaded. But we have to learn how to use and step into all those different things. But if you don't practice, if you don't step into it, you're not going to mature and you're, we're not going to look like the kingdom. So many times I hear people say, we want revival. Who's heard that? Who said it? Lord, bring revival in this place. Who said it? Come on, raise your hand. Who hopes for it, longs for it, right? We want revival in this place. But let me tell you something. Revival does not happen because man pushes it. And we're good at pushing it, right? If I do this, this will bring revival. If I do that, that will bring revival. No, Jesus brings revival through pressing into those who engage him. If you look at the revivals all over the world, it's because his people pressed into him and he pressed right back. And what came out was the kingdom of God. If, if, if we stuck to this, if we said, okay, Lord, I'm discontent what do you want to do here? And I seek him. Then I experience this intimacy. And that intimacy leads me to living a lifestyle that reflects the kingdom in heaven here on earth. Now, what would happen? What do you call blame community? A group of people, the entire community, living like that consistently as a citizen of the kingdom of God. What do you call that? Revival! Is this rocket science? No. See, what we do is we take this, the, the word of God, and we say, you know what? It's got to be more complicated than believe in me, step into me, and I'm going to do far greater things in you than I did in Jesus. Oh, it's got to be more complicated than that. No. God, God works and communicates simplistically, but with majesty. That's cool, isn't it? He's calling us for such a time as this. We have to practice the presence. We have to step into it because we have access to everything. We can never say, I don't have this. Yes, you do. Take it. Receive it. Struggle with it. Practice it. It's not always black and white. Oh, well, I believe in Jesus. I've got, you know, I know how to use everything. No, 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 no. Look at his disciples. <laughs> they did not have it all figured out, did they? But they practiced. They kept going. They kept pushing. One of the greatest examples of this, we always talk about him, is Peter. Another one is Paul. If you look at Paul's letters, he's always writing from a place of discontent, but he does it the right way. Right? He's always addressing an issue. He's always saying, 
we can do this better. And he reminds us in the first few verses, hey, know who you are. You have access to everything. You shouldn't be relying on magic and idols and all these different things, these mystical things. Me, when you step into me, you got it all. You don't have a beat-up Honda Accord. You have a full-blown whatever-whatever, fully loaded. I don't know cars. Let's not waste it. I was telling Mark the other day, the one thing I like about the, the um, prodigal son is that he at least had the guts to take his inheritance. Messed it up. Wasted it. But he took it. We can't live as if we're lacking anything. Nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. And now what? I say to the Lord, now what? Now that you've shown me this, now you've shown me simple steps. Are they the end all of how to do this? No, probably not. But it's a clear understanding of the direction we need to go, wouldn't you think? I say, Lord, now what? Keep preaching. Keep living it, because it's not in vain. In all the years, thousands and millions, whatever, I've never given up on my people, neither will you. That's loving his church. We can't give up. We can't give up through the struggle to know him better. And we can no longer use, I don't know, or I can't hear him, or that is an excuse. We've got to get off, get out of the pew and start practicing these things. Start pressing into it. Start getting our hands dirty. If we want to look, if we want to be the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, we have to, Right? If we want revival, we have to press into him, and then he pours out of us, and then you're going to see this place go crazy. We can't be reserved anymore. We can't be hesitant anymore because we know. Now if we know, we have a responsibility to act out of that knowing. Don't we? We do. So you tell me, what does tomorrow look like for you? at work, around people that don't know Jesus, at school? What does Tuesday look like for you? What is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? No more Sunday Christians. No more. Because God is doing this around the clock for eternity. And we're representatives of his heart. So let's know his heart. Let's engage his heart. Let's receive everything he's given us through his heart, so that we can begin to practice and start looking like the kingdom of God. And when we look like the kingdom of God, then you know we've got revival going on. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's pray. We're going to get in a time of offering. We're going to get in a time of communion. And we're going to get in some more worship. Let's not be reserved anymore. And I'm not talking about running down the aisles. I'm saying in your heart, it's time to leap for joy, knowing that God has given us his fullness, access to everything that he has. Can we worship like that? Can we live like that? Can we love like that? Can we support like that? Can we pray like that? Can we stand in the gap for one another like that? I sure hope so, because I'm not going to give up, and neither should you. Because Jesus never gives up on us. He's always speaking life. Always. And always wanting to take us deeper. 
Even in the midst of us going, no, God, not right now. He still goes after us. And I'm going to keep going after you because he's called me to. And you need to keep coming after me and everyone outside of that door. So, Lord, bless us in Jesus' name with the courage to do everything that is necessary to honor you. Even if it means shutting up, sitting still, and saying, thank you, Lord. I love you. We love you, God. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for your good. And you are worthy to be praised always. Whether we feel like it or not, you're worthy always. Always. As we go into this time of offering, may we bring our tithes and offering to you as if you are, like you say, the one with unlimited resources that will never leave us and never forsake us. May we, be, uh, may we give out of a trust. May we not be overcome by this sense of discontentment, but know that you provide all things in abundance for those that go after you, that are faithful, that go after your heart, want to know you. Thank you for that. Bless this time in worship. I pray that today would be, for some, a new start, a fresh place to begin stepping into the presence, practicing the presence, or we want to see revival, but not because we want it, because you want it. You desire it, and you want to see it lived out through your people. So we're here. Take us, use us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.